Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. I am a descendant of Christianity. Today, Unitarian Universalists look to many sources for truth and meaning. Consider your own spiritual life, the number of places that you turn to. Do you draw upon world religions, the faith of your family, science, reason, ethical actions, poetry, nature, your own experience of the mystery of life? As Unitarian Universalists, Our beliefs and practices have many roots, and our faith journeys often have a surprising twist or two along the way. But once upon a time, Unitarians and Universalists were liberal Christians. While Christian traditions influence each of our religious lives today differently, some more than others, As a faith community, we do have a Christian background. I am a descendant of Christianity through these roots, the roots of my mother's Unitarian Universalism. And I am a descendant of Christianity through my father's Presbyterianism. My faith is a fruit of these legacies. By their roots, you shall know them. These are the words of 20th century Unitarian theologian James Luther Adams, a former member of our own congregation. A master of wordplay, Adams put a twist on the more famous phrase, by their fruits, you shall know them, which comes from the book of Matthew. So how do our Christian roots inform the fruits of our shared Unitarian Universalist tradition? Exploring our Christian roots is a faith journey that is not always easy. For me, an aha moment in this process came while I was on a literal journey of sorts, a hike with a friend in the Tucson mountains of southern Arizona. We were discussing the Christian season of Lent, which had just begun. I was explaining the etymology of the word because, yes, on my days off, I talk about the etymology of words. (laughs) Lent comes from an old English word, lengthen. Lengthen meaning to lengthen. Lengthen was a word for spring. This discovery resonated with me. Of course, 
Lent, in addition to being a preparation for Easter, is a celebration of the season of early spring, a season when lengthening days slowly invite in the promise of new life, a season when food supplies from autumn harvests wane away, inviting in a season of austerity. I shared with my friend how amazing it was for me to discover these rhythms of nature embedded in, within this Christian season of Lent. What other resonant rhythms, I wondered, could I discover within Christianity? My excitement about these ideas carried us along our mountain trail that wound its way through the desert wildflower season. And then my friend, who is not Christian, said, okay, but aren't you just taking a Christian holiday and changing it so you'll like it more? <laughs> no, I countered, I am unpacking a Christian holiday to find more meaning in the tradition. I don't know. He said, so many of my friends are doing this, my Christian friends. Aren't you all just trying too hard? Me? Christian? I was offended. I am not Christian. I am a Unitarian Universalist. I know who I am. Okay. Yes, I do draw upon Christian roots as a source of my faith. But that does not make me Christian. But he had a point. His words stayed with me. <clears throat> Discovering an aspect of Lent that affirmed the rhythms of the season, an aspect of Lent that resonated with me, did not change that Lent is also a time of piety and penitence that can be construed to glorify suffering. Put more broadly, finding a living spirit of love within our Christian roots does not change the reality that Christianity has also been a religious movement that's employed fear and violence to spread its message. In exploring the living roots of our faith, we need to be able to see the full depth and breadth of where we come from. To look openly at the good and the difficult in Christianity. Progressive Christian theologians Rita Nakashima Brock and Rebecca Parker who is president of the Unitarian Universalist Star King School for the Ministry in California, went on a journey to look candidly at the good and the difficult in Christianity. They went on a journey searching for images of salvation. Easter, with its many and mixed messages of salvation and renewal, is just two weeks away. In this Lenten season of preparation, I invite you 
to travel with me as we follow Parker and Brock's journey, a journey they recorded in their book, Saving Paradise, how Christianity traded love of this world for crucifixion and empire. What do these theologians from our own time find as they turn their attention to the roots of Christianity? Rita Nakashima Brock and Rebecca Parker traveled to the Mediterranean to view some of the oldest surviving examples of Christian art, art dating from the first five centuries of Christianity. What messages, they wondered, were embedded in the images that decorated these ancient basilicas and churches and cathedrals? The Christian images they were used to from their own upbringing were images that emphasized Jesus' crucifixion, images that portrayed suffering as redemptive. Now, elaborating on those messages of suffering is a topic for a different sermon on a different day. Today, I invite us to reflect on the images that Brock and Parker did find in these worship spaces of early Christians. Images of paradise. Images that portrayed a love of this world. Images of a present paradise. They write, paradise we realized was the dominant image of early Christian sanctuaries. Early Christian paradise was something other than heaven or the afterlife. In the early church, paradise first and foremost was in this world, this world permeated and blessed by the Spirit of God. Parker and Brock describe this art. As soon as congregants entered ancient churches, they stood in a three-tiered sacred cosmos, a starry night sky or multi-hued clouds represented the first tier, the heavens, where celestial beings hovered. From this mysterious realm, the right hand of God emerged to bless the world. The second tier was an intermediary space over which the living Christ presided. The departed saints stood with him in the meadows of paradise and visited to bless the living. And the third tier was on the floor of the church where worshipers stood in God's garden on earth. They continue. In this three-tiered universe, paradise had both a here and a not here quality. Early Christians taught that paradise had always been here on earth. Sin had once closed its portals, but Jesus Christ had reopened them for the living. While Christians could taste, see, and feel feel the traces of it in ordinary life, 
they arrived most fully in paradise, in community worship. Brock and Parker continue, with its art and buildings, the church created a space that united the living on earth with the heavenly beings and departed saints who surrounded and blessed the living. The risen Christ and clouds of witnesses embraced this life and lifted it to touch the heavens at every Eucharist. In that holy ritual, the community stood within the sacred cosmos, blessed by the fruits of the earth and the power of the saints. What an image they found. And what can we learn from these images of Christianity that Parker and Brock share with us? What fruits might we cultivate within this knowledge of these roots? A present paradise infused with spirit and sustained through the power of compassionate community creates opportunities for rejoicing and opportunities for resistance. Now, early Christianity, you might have heard, was not particularly popular with the Roman Empire. Claiming God as Lord or Jesus as King was a way of saying that local empires were not the dominant force in the world. The state could not have ultimate moral authority or perfect control if someone other than the emperor was the most high. Even the telling of the crucifixion story in these early centuries was an act of resistance, a way of naming the terrible impact and horrific pain enacted through an all-too-common practice of state violence and oppression. When early Christians gathered to celebrate Easter or to share the Eucharist meal, they were sharing stories of life, of a life cut short by violence and the possibility for life to transcend that violence. They gathered to lament and also to rejoice in the possibilities of love, to be thankful for the gathered community and harvested crops, to meet one another in peace and reconciliation, celebrating the mysteries of life as made manifest in their own human lives. In their journey into the history of Christianity, Parker and Brock find salvation in the communities of paradise that people create together in this world. They write of the possibilities of paradise in our own era. Paradise belongs to no one individual not even God, who shares it with us all. We must learn to perceive paradise and relate to it with ethical grace 
Ethical grace is a full-bodied life in the present, attuned, they tell us, to what is beautiful and good. Ethical grace is responsive to legacies and currents of harm. To live in paradise requires us to create the kinds of rituals that teach us to love the world and each other. Parker and Brock find that rituals observed in communities create the space that give voice to the pain and suffering of this world, while also witnessing the strength and beauty of this same world. I wonder, I wonder what rituals and practices bring you into the fullness of this world. I wonder what the spaces of community are in which you engage these practices. And what spaces do we and might we find to create together in our community here at Arlington Street Church to be present to the good and the beautiful? How do we strengthen one another to be responsive to harm? Lent is a season that invites us to engage in ritual. The season of Lent is traditionally a time when disciplines of limitations are encouraged. Perhaps for some of us, they are encouraged a bit too strongly. The idea is to turn away from sin in order to prepare for the Easter feast of renewal. Now, my own definition of sin, I do have one, follows that of theologian Paul Tillich, who writes, sin is separation. If sin is that which separates us from ourselves, from one another, and from the mysteries of life, then turning away from sin can also be understood as turning towards life. Lent becomes a season of connection. The lengthening days of spring become a time when we are asked to notice and respond to the wounds that separate our world to respond from a place of deep and abiding love from a present paradise. We are asked to discipline ourselves to cultivate relationships of care and compassion. In this springtime season of renewal, I invite you to practice what Rebecca Parker and Rita Nakashima Brock call an ethic of paradise. They write, we can come to know the world as paradise when our hearts and souls are reborn through the arduous and tender task of living rightly with one another 
and the earth. Generosity and nonviolence and care for one another are pathways into transformed awareness. Knowing that paradise is here and now is a gift that comes to those who practice the ethics of paradise. So this spring, practice in ethic of paradise, an ethic of communal care and compassion. Let the opportunities for those practices be the fruits that grow from our Unitarian, Universalist, Christian roots. This has been a sermon of images, and I have one more image to share with you in our time here together. It's an image that I've used with children to tell the story of our faith. It is an image of a tree, a Unitarian Universalist tree. The roots of this tree are our sources, including, but not limited to Christianity. And the branches of this tree bear the fruits of our Unitarian Universalist promises. The actions we take in the world based on our ethics and principles. And this tree is illuminated by a gold circle representing that transcending mystery and wonder known by many names, experienced in many ways. Imagine this tree growing in an earthly paradise, a tree of truth and knowledge, of resistance and rejoicing, of compassionate community. Imagine a faith so strong that we are able to speak the truth of the atrocities of our world, to talk about the common crucifixions of our own time, the violent suppression of political dissent that we see on the news, the stories we hear of parents risking their lives to cross borders in hope of a better life for their family the destruction of old-growth forests, the removal of mountaintops for easy access to coal. The list goes on. Imagine a faith sustained by histories of religious resistance and renewal. Imagine being supported by these vital roots so that taking on the works of reconciliation healing and transformation that our world so desperately needs, we are not overwhelmed into states of denial, paralysis, burnout. Imagine a faith so full of millennia of love that we cannot keep from rejoicing, cannot keep from singing, where we Thank one another for the gifts of each day, each meal, each act of service and friendship. Where we celebrate the work we do and name the beauty we see 
where we strive not only for a better tomorrow, but offer bountiful praises for every today, for this community of care and compassion, for this present paradise. Amen and blessed be.